You are talking about the nonsensical ravings of a lunatic mind. I got a bad feeling about this. I'm as mad as hell, and I'm not going to take this anymore! He's looking at you, kid. What we got here is a failure to communicate. You could ask yourself a question. Do I feel lucky? Well, do you, punk? Okay, so we always start off uh, at the top with Best Picture. Now, it was, I think, uh, 2009, right, Holden, where they expanded the field to include up to 10? Right. And they did 10 in 2009, and they did 10 in 2010, and I don't know about you, but I thought that was just how it was going to be now, and they haven't done it since, including this year. No. It's a pretty good number, right? right. Yeah. Yeah. The main worry when they started doing 10 right off the bat was, oh, they're just going to have this quota to fill, right? Right. Um, And I'm kind of glad that they haven't. I'll just run through them real quick uh, in alphabetical order. Arrival, Fences, Hacksaw Ridge, Hell or High Water, Hidden Figures, La La Land, Lion, Manchester by the Sea, and Moonlight. Uh, are we all in agreement that La La Land's probably going to win? It's definitely the favorites. Won uh, most of the big awards coming in. So, yep, I would say uh, that's the smart bet for how it's going to go. I think I heard you say before that with the, what was it, the Director's Guild or the Producer's Guild has something like a 70% correlation. Yeah, I think the producers are, are 70. And directors are even higher than that. So it, it did win the PGA Award uh, last week or whenever that was. Uh, and they went to, uh, we talk about this, seeming labor year now too. the uh, Oscars have gone to a preferential ballot system, which we try to describe every year. And I don't know how, how well we do their tutorial videos on the, on the web. That'll show you how to show you how it goes. But basically you weight your choices. You, you number your choices, you rank your choices going in on your ballot. And it, uh, if, if the top choice uh, gets 50% or more the first time, uh, it's just, that's just what wins. If it doesn't get 50%, the, the, choice with the with the least amount of option with least amount of votes is taken off and all those votes uh all those ballots go to their their second choice and it recalibrates until you get one that hits 50 percent and the pga uh has has gone to that system for for their what correlates as best picture too and since that which was uh, i think also nine years ago um they've synced up every year except for last year Last year, if you remember, uh, uh, the Big Short won the PGA Award, and Spotlight, of course, won the Oscar. So that was the only time they haven't matched since they've gone to this preferential system. And even without the preferential system, just in the history, going all the way back, uh, they they usually sync up. It's it's unusual when they don't. Yeah, for you political science majors, I think that's called instant runoff, right? It's the same basic right, principle. Right. And it seems, uh, and maybe I'm just remembering the last couple of years, it seems like it tends to produce less polarizing choices, more safer consensus choices, because if you're on uh, number two on a lot of ballots, for example, number three on a lot of ballots, you have a much better chance than the sort of love it or hate it choices. Right. I would guess so, right. So even if you were a champion of one of the Ones that will, you know, say don't have much of a mathematical choice, uh, chance like Hacksaw Ridge or Arrival. You might put that as number one. Then your backup choice, maybe everyone's backup choice is La La Land or Manchester by the Sea. And so that, you know, those rise to the top. 
much more quickly. Right. So maybe it's a little less important to be loved than in the past and a little more important not to be hated or, or not to well, be. Well, maybe. I mean, I think in a year when there is going to be a, you know, who knows how the, I, I, I really wish you talk about this every year. I, I really wish they'd release the, uh, the votes at some point. I understand <laughs> they don't want to do it right away, but you know, 10 years, 25 year embargo, something, and then show us what the ballots really were. Cause I mean, I would think something if, if Schindler's list was released this year, I think it would still, you know, whatever margin it won by before, I don't think it would change now. When there is a, a true consensus that that was the best picture of the year, you know, overwhelmingly, I think, you know, the, the weighted ballot system doesn't, doesn't change that at all. So we'll, we, we'll probably never really know how many of these got really close, um, any more than we did in the old system. But, uh, yeah, certain speculation wise, it would seem maybe that kind of second or third choice that if everyone has the kind of same, movie as their second pick you know generally that would push it over the top if they ever release those numbers i think we would just have months and months of conversation on the forums immediately we could do we could do three or four podcasts we could just go by decade (laughs) on podcasts and just start crunching numbers and yeah it'd be fun but yeah i I don't know that they'll ever really do it but i think it would i actually think it would make it more interesting yeah especially i mean you have a realistic embargo it wouldn't be you know that that night or even in the next year but if you did it 10 or 25 or even you know 30 years later when most of the participants in the you know in the heated battles of those days are you know either retired or dead and no one really cares anymore it's just interesting it'd be really fascinating to find out how close some of these races were and how how some of these blood how many of these things we assume were blowouts maybe weren't blowouts maybe it was actually a really close vote but it just seemed like a blowout Right, exactly. I mean, the best guess I guess I can muster is that uh, if you have one of those director picture splits, maybe those ones were a little more likely to be close uh, than some of the other right. ones. Right, and that'd be interesting to see. Yeah, I will say that uh, I did check before making my picks or doing any analysis at all. I made sure that Michael Keaton isn't in any of these movies, so we're safe. <laughs> we don't have to go with that one. He's been in two Best Picture winners in a row, but he didn't make it this year. Didn't seem to really try. Um, so, so we're good. Uh, so if we all think it's going to be, I assume, Mark, you think it'll be La La Land too? then? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Well, what would you guys pick personally, though? If uh, uh, Forget predictions for a second. What was your choice, if it's even among the nominees? Oh, my choice was La La Land. You know, I was, first of all, looking at the uh, Best Picture nominations. Uh, La La Land and Hacksaw Ridge are both kind of old-fashioned uh, movies. They even tell the story kind of... Uh, uh, old-fashioned ways, and uh, they could be considered to have uh, maybe a little sentiment or something. And then I look at these other movies, Moonlight, Manchester by the Sea, Arrival even. They seem to be more of a, take a more modern approach to storytelling and being more like a tone poem and revealing things slowly. And So I can see a division, uh, like on the on the site, I can see a division where people like the, the newer movies more and they like they see La La Land they go well I don't it's not it's good but it's not that good it's awkward uh, it's a musical it's a musical how can <laughs> right. I like a musical but um well that's probably working to its advantage I would think it's the oh my goodness I don't normally like musicals but I like La La Land so if it if if I can like a musical this much doesn't it deserve you know recognition Obviously, the first thing I think of, though, and this is sort of a facile, superficial comparison, but I think of The Artist, uh, which doesn't seem to have had a lot of staying power. I don't hear a lot of people talking about it anymore, but it was just such a, 
I don't know if I don't want to uh, delve into people's psyches here too much, but it's just such a good feeling movie to vote for. And I kind of wonder if you're getting something similar with La La Land. That it's sort of like an aspirational choice. The voters do seem to like movies that demonstrate what Hollywood wants to be or can be, as opposed as opposed to maybe what it always is. Uh, I think of the same about The King's Speech winning out over The Social Network. You know, The Social Network is dark and upsetting, uh, kind of like Moonlight, kind of like Manchester by the Sea or Arrival. Um, but The King's Speech was more of an uplifting film, and it just seems like they tend to like to make statements by choosing the more uplifting films. Yeah, but I mean, certainly depressing movies, if you want to generally call Manchester and Moonlight is depressing. I have have won Oscars in in the past and will win, you know, in the future and over, you know, a happier movie. Things things are cyclical. And it's easy to look back and say, oh, because mm-hmm. you know, the election, people want something bouncier. Who knows? But I mean, it's right. it's easy to speculate on that kind of thing, and of course, impossible to prove. So I mean, it's it's La La Land was my favorite movie of the year as well. So I mean, it's the one I would vote for. Um, but I, I mean, I love Manchester by the Sea. A lot. I mean, I, I, if that one won, I wouldn't be upset. I mean, I liked it a lot. Would that be your runner-up? Uh, you know, I think probably if we could ever see a ballot, it's probably going to be you know La La Land, uh, Manchester by the Sea, and Moonlight are the three that are really get a lot of votes, and the others uh, are kind of also rans to varying degrees. Yeah, I mean, I, I really like Manchester by the Sea. I mean, it it seems to me it's kind of the tradition of. Uh, Kramer versus Kramer and ordinary people, you know, those kind of best picture winners in terms of endearment even. I mean, those, you know, that it's, it's, it's definitely a, a tearjerker, but I think it's, a, you know, it's also, I think it's dismissive to call it a tearjerker because <laughs> it's got as many laughs for me as it has, you know, tears, which is the real trick of that movie, really. I mean, it's kind of easy to take kind of that sad bastard material about, you know, death and, and get tears out of it. That's not really that big a trick but to have as many laughs as it does in it and to have kind of that i mean really it's it's that kind of slice of life thing that i think when it works is is really really interesting and powerful and and, and emotional and driving but uh yeah i mean I, it's definitely sad material for sure yeah. <laughs> if you don't cry there's probably you know something you're you're something wrong with your heart but yeah, I don't think it's just a tearjerker. It's not just a sad movie, but I think it's it's good. And Moonlight is, you know, it's it's one of those. Everyone's want to get one of those independent movies that really rises to the top without you know a big star in the in the title and kind of came out of the uh, uh, Sundance. I think that one came out of Sundance, so it came out of the film festival circuit and got distribution and kind of slowly built word of mouth and critical reviews. I mean, that's how that one built. It's it's cool when those movies you know make it all the way to the top as a true Oscar contender. Like I said before, though, of course, Manchester by the Sea, it tells the story in a different way, you know, a yes. modern way. Uh, yes. Some people might not even notice it, for all I know, but with the changes of time, but having to right. do with what's happening in the movie, you know, emotional storytelling. Right. So, right. And Moonlight, of course, has, is all about form, divided into three parts. Oh, yes. Oh yes, <laughs> three very distinct chapters. And Number Arrival, three. Arrival is 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 oh, yeah. all it's, about it's the time it's, travel in there. So, right. it, yes, and you don't even know what it is. No, and, no, you know until the ending. Right. Basically, I mean, a little before the ending, you figure it out. But uh, so those, yeah. like I say, Fences right. is very traditional. Yes, um, yes. From a play, for, uh, actually, Hidden Figures is very traditional. Hell or high water is traditional, at least ever since there's been the Coens. And, right. uh, 
lion is even though it's told also in a half and half it's mm-hmm. pretty much traditional it's a, it's yep. another cheer trigger hacksaw ridge like i say i my brother came over and we watched uh he wanted to watch silence and hacksaw ridge right he just it just so happened it was an andrew garfield double bill and he was very <laughs> he was very impressed by both of them I'm uh, glad you mentioned Silence, Mark, because that was what I was going to ask about next. It's the most obvious snub for Best Picture, I would assume. Um, and I'm a little surprised it's not there. I mean, you mentioned depressing movies. Ooh, uh, that's a that's a movie. That's that's Schindler's List. That's a great movie. I might never watch again. Yeah, who knows? Who knows why the you know? It's certainly. I mean, Scorsese is obviously a brand name, a legend. It's won an Oscar before, been nominated many times. Why it didn't make the cut this year? Who knows? Uh, you can only speculate, but. Uh, yeah, I, I don't know. They just weren't in the mood for one of those kind of kind of movies this year, I guess. That I have a feeling. A, epic. Yeah, I have a feeling, though, that a lot of people didn't watch it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, that could be, too. I mean, they heard how long it was. They heard it was a, you know, a depressing movie about religion. And they said, you know what? Uh, you know, we talk about, you know, you crammed for this uh, Yoda by watching, you know, the movies after they were nominated. And you, if you're a potential voter, you know, they go to some screenings, but mostly what they do is get a, they get stacks and stacks of uh, DVDs and Blu-rays in this day and age. And you know, if you're getting a, if you've got a stack of you know sixty or seventy of these, mm-hmm. you can only watch so many. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Three hours long, and like I'm not in the mood tonight. I'm not in the mood tonight. And then it just just plain didn't get seen enough. Is I I probably would I would go with that. We can't all watch as many films as you, Mark. We cannot keep up with you. Uh, (laughs) well you know what i keep thinking is and whenever i think of a snub i think okay so take the worst one or two nominees is it better than those and that's where i get confused because there aren't any bad movies on this list but fences uh i don't really see it uh i mean it's a it's a very well acted movie but it doesn't have to be a movie and i tend to think that you know uh if you're going to be nominated for best picture you should be taking advantage of the medium a little more than fences does when it's really just sort of a play put to film um, so yeah, I'm at a loss. I can't figure out, but you said, you know, not only is it depressing and about religion, it's even worse than that. It's about religious persecution, which is particularly right. depressing. It's not even right. the nice side of religion, really. It's the very ugly side. Um, and it's a period piece, but a very old period piece. It, it, it's a very difficult watch, um, however you put it. And I, I don't know. I think your guess is as good as any then, because if you actually see the film, it's kind of hard to explain why it wouldn't be up there. Right. Or why, as as good as Andrew Garfield was in Hacksaw Ridge, and he's very good, he's so much better in Silence. I mean, he has to do, you know, there's so many more kind of notes and tones he has to hit in that one. And he doesn't have the, you know, southern accent thing going. So I, you know, I just, who knows? Yeah, well, you know, yeah. time, what, like, what, you know, these are always, always just a snapshot. Time will tell. Could be in, you know, 25 years, Silence is, you know, a widely understood, you know, accepted masterpiece and fences and hacks are ridge or, you know, barely remembered anymore. You know, that, that's something that times will tell and Oscars don't, you know, can only affect so much. Okay. So you mentioned Andrew Garfield and his performances. Uh, let's use that to segue to best actor. Let's do this a little out of order this time. Andrew Garfield nominated for Hacksaw Ridge, not silence. Now you mentioned, uh, being much more impressed with his performance in silence. I agree it was better, but I actually thought they were pretty close. Maybe it's just because if someone puts on an accent that I know is fake, uh, particularly something like a southern accent, something that I should know fairly well from day-to-day life, and it manages not to sound ridiculous every time they talk, I tend to be very impressed by that. Uh, and he didn't make it sound that silly, but you're right. Two tremendous performances. You could have easily nominated him twice. Oh, yeah. 
Do you think that'll help him? The fact that, you know, he has the second thing kind of in his back pocket. We've talked about this before when directors are nominated twice, and we, we can never come to a consensus as to whether or not it's uh, good or bad for them. Yeah, I mean, it can't hurt that he has, you know, more than one performance. I mean, even like the, with the year Kevin Spacey won for Usual Suspects, and he had mm-hmm. several great kind of movies that announced him that year, and Usual Suspects was the one that was on the ballot. It certainly doesn't hurt your case that you've got you know more than one movie out there and only one's on the ballot yeah whether it, whether it pushes him over the top I, I don't know i don't know that he's you know in danger of winning this either way we think it's going to be casey affleck i assume yeah it's either going to be casey or denzel it's gonna be one of the two of them and the others also rans who would you guys choose uh mark well if the movie was uh uh if Fences uh, stopped about uh, Act One, Denzel would win for sure. Hmm. Uh, to me, at least I, this is what I noticed. Because uh, the second half of the movie is kind of structured differently from the first half, and it brings in more characters and things, and it takes somewhat of the focus off of Denzel. So uh, he really shined in the first half, as far as I'm concerned. But I think Casey's going to take it anyway. Uh, I wouldn't be surprised. I was blown away by Denzel. I was going, wow, this is the best Denzel's ever, ever been. I He's agree. already got all these other Academy Awards. I, I thought the same thing. I, I liked Casey Affleck a lot and I thought, okay, yeah, I see it. Uh, you know, he'll probably win. Good for him. Um, I didn't really have strong feelings either way. And then I saw Fences and I thought, wow, I didn't, I didn't, I didn't think I was going to have strong, a strong, a strong opinion about this, but, uh, I thought Denzel, I agree. His best performance. Yeah, this is his seventh nomination overall, uh, fifth as Best Actor. He won for Glory early in his career, and he won for Training Day. Uh, so, you know, it wouldn't it? It's not like he's, you know, Meryl Streep, and he's got a thousand nominations. And if you win, it, it certainly could happen. It's very good. It's definitely one of his best performances, no doubt about that. I wasn't even that over. Well, I didn't think he'd win for those two. Uh, <laughs> right. I was, I don't I was see- surprised when he won for those. The thing I really liked about Denzel and Fences is that um, his character is basically, you know, a yarn spinner, a storyteller. He that he spends the first, you know, like Mark says, the first half is particularly good because it's it's very different from the second half. He's pretty much just spinning stories and making things up, but doing it in very entertaining ways. And I was transfixed. I I thought I would be fine if the whole movie was nothing but this. Um, and it's particularly good because the character has to be like that. If the character isn't interesting and charismatic and you don't sort of want to listen to him make things up, then you don't understand, uh, well, without getting into too many plot details, you don't understand the situations he finds himself in later, why certain people put up with him, you know, things like that. How, how does he get to be, how does he get into the situation he's in? He has to be this type of person. So you really need to buy it. It all hinges on him, uh, which is, uh, not to say Viola Davis doesn't play a, a huge part too, but, uh, he had to be uh, incredibly charismatic to make it work, and he was. Yeah, I know we don't we don't want to give away the plot of a play that won the Pulitzer Prize in 1985. <laughs> Spoiler alert! Um, yeah, uh, <laughs> yeah. I, I, I mean, it's a very ultimately he's a he's an inter- always interesting and a character you you understand his perspective, but certainly he's unlikable, and the things he does that become come to light in the you know last third of it. Are, are very like in fact I, you know i saw an audience with an audience uh christmas day i think and you know definitely there were people around me in the audience who had never seen the play didn't know what the play was you know didn't know other than the trailer what the movie was about and you know when that scene that you know basically was going to win viola her oscar came up you know there were gasps like oh he's kind of an asshole yeah. <laughs> which you know is a good character to play but i mean he's he's definitely uh, it's not a likable character the way 
you think it's going to be from the trailer maybe or from the kind of the the more iconic scenes from the first parts of the play. You know, he is kind of a bastard. Uh, let's not forget that. <laughs> right. It's a good creative decision because her heartbreak then makes more sense to you because you've been on the same journey. You liked him from the start. The first thing they show you is him being very charming and interesting and fun and kind and talking about hard work and all these other great qualities so that you sort of fall in love with him first so that when you uh, witness the betrayal later, she gets to have her moment and you're along for the ride. And, and Casey Affleck's character is reverse. He starts off, mm. you're not quite sure what's up with him. Why is he not just why is he know, so jumping cold in and, to everybody? Why yeah. is he so distant? Why is he so self-destructive? And then as the flashbacks reveal exactly why he hates himself so much, uh, you understand the whole front of the movie in a different way. Uh, and that's what the power of that performance comes from. So it's, it's really flipped in, in that sense. Do you think there's any reason that nobody's really talking about Ryan Gosling here? I mean, I my general opinion on La La Land is that it's a great movie, but that it's it's uh it's sort of it's 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 one of those some versus parts thing, right? Um, I don't feel like most of the performances are that incredible by themselves; they just add up to a lot. Well, he's very charming, but you know, he's he'll he'll win Oscars and Oscar if not Oscars uh, in his career, assuming he you know doesn't drop dead tomorrow. Um, but you know, when you look at his best work, it, you know this was. I mean, he does have that kind of stuff, like what's the crazy, stupid love, where he's, he's that kind of very charming, handsome guy, which he does very well, and, and does a version of that in this. But really, his more interesting performances for me are like Half Nelson and uh, uh, Lars and the Real Girl, you know, that kind of stuff. Where, where he plays the weirdo, yeah, right. And I, those are the kind of performances he's going to win for in the future. This is a very charming movie star performance that Oscars don't generally reward, especially this, if he had never won one and, and he gave one of these performances when he's 60, that's a whole different thing. But at this stage in, in the heart of his career, and he's going to, you know, assuming he's going to act for 20 or 30 more years, right. he's going to have many more of those kind of emotional resonant performances rather than just the charming ones that will get nominated in the future and he'll win for eventually. So yeah, he's, he's very charming in the movie, uh, but he's not going to win. If I had a ballot, I'd probably go for Casey over Denzel, but uh, yeah, mm-hmm. we'll find out Oscar night. It, it's definitely, I think it's definitely going to be one of the two of them. Yeah. I loved, I, I really liked um, Vigo Mortensen. I like Captain Fantastic and I like Vigo's performance and Garfield was great and Ryan was great, but you know, I think it's coming down to the two of those guys and we'll see how it goes. I mean, the, Mm-hmm. Affleck seemed to have a lot of momentum until the SAG Awards, and when mm-hmm. Denzel won SAG, it's like, well, okay, well, maybe it is a two-horse race. So it's at least that. <laughs> I think the SAG Awards, it seemed like Affleck was just rolling through all the awards and all the ceremonies, and now, well, we'll see. So moving over to Best Actress, uh, I want to start with Natalie Portman in Jackie, and this is something I wonder about a lot, and I don't know if this is really an answerable question, but I'll throw it out there. Uh, the consensus seems to be that it's not a very good movie, uh, not particularly well-written, uh, kind of forgettable, but that she's very good in it, because obviously, here she is, she has a nomination. Is that better for her or worse? Is it better to be in a mediocre, mediocre film that you are single-handedly elevating, so you're the only good thing in it? Or do you think maybe there's going to be a bit of a penalty here um, for being in an otherwise mediocre film? I can take that. Yeah, go for it. Uh, first of all, I'm not sure about this consensus that it's a mediocre film. I no. think it's mostly all. I think it's yeah, mostly I all. I don't think that either. Reviews. I like it a lot. Yeah, and it's yeah. Uh, and uh, number two, as far as her performance goes, the only thing that had me going 
you know, I'm old enough to remember Jackie and having her talk and everything else. And people have mentioned this is her accent. I usually don't, I usually don't uh, care about accents that much. Mm -hmm. But uh, I don't know why if some old, old fogies might not vote for her because they'd say, well, I knew Jackie and I don't think that sounded like her. Right. But I I don't care uh, how the emotions are, are true or, or uh, the storytelling is a different uh, way to look at it. I don't care about any of that stuff. You know, just get the accent straight, girl. Well, I mean, not that Truman Capote is as big a cultural figure as Jackie Kennedy, but I mean, Philip Seymour Hoffman's performance yeah. as Capote, which won the Oscar for Best Actor, is not a note-perfect imitation of Capote the way that a, a comic would do it or that a, a, you would do it in a sketch, but it certainly captivated the the voters and he won i think he, if that was one of those well, we obvious pick up the bullets he, he you know he won that one in a walk but it wasn't he did not nail that as an impression he did not nail it he got the general gist of it as i think she does with jackie but she didn't nail horror. it yeah first be interesting second be accurate uh i like that you mentioned in a sketch because there's sort of the two schools of of uh impressions uh there's the daryl hammond kind of higher accuracy version and then there's the dana carvey the sort of take a kernel of something and exaggerate it into something entertaining or interesting but kind of get the spirit of it right and you're saying this is more of a, a spirit of the thing yeah, I think so. I, I agree with Mark. It's not, you know, she doesn't nail Jackie's Kennedy, Jackie Kennedy's voice. But I, I like with like him. I don't know. I, mean, I haven't really read a lot of the reviews. I don't know what uh, what consensus you picked up on. But I mean, just personally, I really like the movie. I thought it was very interesting. I thought it was directed. I mean, remind. I don't know about you, Mark. We didn't talk about this, but a lot of the music cues and the and the camera movement it reminded me a lot of The Shining. Actually, it felt <laughs> like a horror movie. Which, you know, yeah, well, should be. It was a very horrible well, experience for her. There's going to be a sense of dread over the entire story anyway. You might as well lean into it. Yeah. I mean, I I, I thought it was a very effective movie, and uh, you know, her performance was good. But uh, I think it, it, it's one of those, also one of those perf- things where if she had never won an Oscar, I think she'd be much more heavily favored to win. That she's already won one, uh, I think, lessens her chances of winning a second year. Mm-hmm. And I, I do want to talk a little bit about Ruth Nega and Loving. I haven't seen Loving, but I got to say, when I saw Jeff Nichols, when I saw the subject matter, I thought, oh my goodness, you know, sweep, Oscar Oscar bait, you know, and I, I know we hate the phrase Oscar bait, but you know what I mean. I figured this is a shoe in and here it is, what, one nomination, right? Yeah. yeah. Kind of strange. What did, you, what did you think of it, Mark? Uh, uh, I mean, well, I mean, uh, I thought it was good. It was, I thought, a little underwhelming, but it was good. I'm... I thought maybe Joel Edgerton would would have taken Viggo Mortensen's place mm-hmm. uh, in Best Actor. I still am not sure. I mean, you said that Silence would be the tenth one. Loving, I thought, could mm. be the tenth one. Yeah, combination of her Best Picture. Yeah, I, I, I like Loving a lot, but it, it definitely takes. I mean, it's a very. <sighs> it, it takes its cue tone wise, I think, from those two people and those and by virtue of those performances, they were very low key people they you know they did not want this thrust upon them this which ultimately wound up becoming a a supreme court case they just wanted to live their lives and which you know what makes the story so powerful from that point of view is you know they they weren't crusaders they weren't looking to change the world they just wanted to to love who they loved and and be left alone and so i think the the movie and there's a, a good documentary that was on uh i think premiered on hbo four or five years ago called the loving story um it's the same kind of thing. I mean, it's it's a very low key story. You know, you could definitely 
over dramatize there's there's plenty of opportunity to to really amp up the drama and it's played very low key because i think because i think taking the the cue from them that they were so low key about it and as these characters in this film are just you know they're dealing with this it's very upsetting to them obviously it's affecting their lives and very important to them but they aren't you know the the rage and scream kind of people they're very private uh and quiet people and so it's a very quiet film that way even though it's a very interesting and amazing historical you know case it's not presenting it's not presented in a rah-rah way it's presented very much the way they live their lives well yeah Yeah, nichols could have gone he could have made the film about the case and the issue or he could have made it about the people and he chose to make it about the people yeah it's about everyday life really a lot of these movies are about everyday life yeah i mean they're people's everyday life and it could be just with the we know with the low-key nature of of Moonlight and Manchester by the Sea. And, you know, it was just one more low key one. And they're like, eh, we've got enough of those. Right. You know, when people were sending out the ballots, like I've, I've thrown a, I've got a couple of those on my ballot. I don't think I need a third and a fourth one. Yeah. Covered, Who knows? covered all our movie bases. Yeah. I will say though, right. that uh, I haven't seen it yet. I'm, I'm, I expect to enjoy it, but I will, I do hope Jeff Nichols gets back to making more Jeff Nichols type of movies. I was a little disappointed to hear he was doing a, a true story just because I'm so fascinated by, uh, uh, by, by what he does right now. I like the way Mark put it a couple of years ago on one of these podcasts where he said his films are like novels um, come to life and they really are so uh i'm looking forward to loving but i'm also looking forward to whatever jeff nichols does next and i hope it's like what he's done before right and midnight special was also released earlier this year that's right very early right yeah 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 that was earlier in the uh, beginning of the summer and this was at the very end of the year so i mean he you know he had two this year there i I like both of them i mean they're very different obviously right but midnight (laughs) special is more is more what i would have expected from jeff nichols um yes i mean it's he's been uh he's had interesting attempts at, at uh, interesting effect playing with genre and he got to play with the sci-fi a little bit this one. And uh, yeah, I mean, it didn't resonate with people the way arrival did apparently and on voters, but you know, I liked it just as much as arrival and either different, but I mean, it's uh, I really like, I really like, Nichols, as a filmmaker, he's one of my favorites. They only had room for one uh, particularly high-minded sci-fi film, I guess, this right. year. Uh, well, lucky they got that much, actually. Um, if if any of them, if any of the nominations were a surprise, it seems like Arrival uh, caught a few people off guard. But back to Best Actress, uh, we haven't talked about Emma Stone yet. She's the runaway favorite here, I believe. I think so. I yeah. mean, her performance was a little, you know, Gosling's, not that didn't have dramatic tinges in La La Land, but his was all charm, you know, his was really reliant on his charm. Not that she's not, you know, doing her charming thing in this. She is. But um, she's got, you know, more of the dramatic notes. She gets to play those more than he does. And it's, you know, it's it's her turn. You know, they, they kind of do this with young ingenue actresses as they're coming up. It seems like, you know, it's, it's their turn to win one. And she might be getting a little bit of that. And plus, she's just, you know, she's really... More than him, I think she's the center of the the emotional center of that movie, and this movie that is you know by the people who love it beloved, and it's going to win best picture and best director and all that stuff, and she's the kind of emotional center of it, and you know she's well liked and wonderful, and there's not kind of one of those um, you know more dramatic performances that's really going full guns on and all the other award ceremonies this year so it seems like this year they're going to go for a lighter performance you know compared mm-hmm. to jackie or or l certainly mm-hmm. 
And of course, but, you know, well, when, there is the annual Meryl Streep nomination, uh, which we yeah, cele- yeah. we celebrate every year, like Groundhog Day. Yeah. What is she up to now? Is this I like- don't know if Holden did did see it, but I, I mean, I saw it. It was really good. Florence Foster Jenkins, you mean? It was, yeah. Yeah. Did I, I, else I, 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 it didn't do much for me. I mean, the movie or the performance. I mean, the performance is, you know, it is what it is. It's, it, you know, she doesn't give many bad performances. This is certainly not a bad performance. Whether it's one of my top five of the year, I, I doubt it. Um, the movie for me, it's, it's a weird mix. <laughs> um, and it, it didn't quite come off to me. They, they didn't quite pull it off. It, they seem to be going for this kind of, you know, lighter tone. I'm certainly, I mean, even though it's the way it was sold, I don't fault them for selling it that way, but kind of a, a lighter romp about a woman who's tone deaf and, you know, all of a sudden becomes a famous singer for a blip. And, uh, but you know, the darker edges for me, it, it, instead of making it resonate and like, Oh, what, what a wonderful struggle. It's just like, ah, did these, these are not two great tastes that go great together. For me, it was just, even though it's a true story based on a true story, it just, it, as a movie, it just didn't work for me. And well, to me, it was a dark comedy. So, right. The whole thing yeah, I, was I, a dark I, comedy. Even if it was somebody's life. Right. I mean, I, I can see that. I just, it, it just, you know, this one didn't work for me. Um, but for, it's her 20th nomination overall. Good 16 God. is best actress. 16 is best actress. And she's only got three wins, amazingly. That's what's really amazing about her. <laughs> 20 nominations, or 19 so far, not counting this one, is that she's only won three times. Um, yeah, but uh, certainly she'll win. I don't think she'll win this year, but she'll get nominated again, certainly until she drops dead. And, you know, a couple of these years, she's going to win again. Uh, so she'll wind up with four or five wins before it's all done, but not, I don't think, this year. And uh, Isabel, no, who no. most most American audiences probably if you just watch american films are barely aware of is like the meryl streep of france for her generation mm-hmm. and she's got i think 16 uh caesar award nominations which is the french equivalent of their academy award um and only one win she's kind of like meryl streep in that sense too she's got 16 nominations <laughs> and one win for uh, a chabrol film uh la ceremonie um so and she's won a couple. She's won Best Actress at Cannes a couple times. So internationally, she's you know very well known and beloved and respected. And then here in America, you know she's only I Heart Huckabees and Heaven's Gate. And you know she's had been in a few English you know American movies, but not many. It's been mostly French and European. And uh, it's this one feels to me feels like more of a career achievement type nomination not that she's not good in l she was also in another movie this year that was she was good in she's always good but why this one over all the others was the one that broke through mm-hmm. and the and the oscars finally gave her a nomination uh, who knows um i don't think she's going to win i don't think it's that much of a sentiment that she's going to win okay so before we uh, go to the supporting actor and supporting actress categories let's go double back and talk about best director for a minute this one seems like a slam dunk um we say that a lot though and we end up getting proven wrong but uh, damien chazelle is just just a wunderkind like this this kid's amazing he's 30 years old right and he's already got two best picture nominees and now he's probably gonna gonna win for for la la land yeah he's he just turned 32 last week and he if he wins and he did win the dga award uh last night uh which is one of those it's the most reliable predictor of all the awards if you're gonna look at the what what awards 
you know, what people want awards before the Oscars, that's the one to to put money on. <laughs> if you're going to put money on it, not that it's infallible, but it's certainly uh, the best by far. And he won that last night, and if he wins uh, in a few weeks for the Oscar, he will be the youngest Best Director winner. Wow. Yeah, just by just by months. Uh, uh, Norman Tarog, I've never said that. I've only seen it <laughs> written on the screen. I've never <laughs> had to pronounce it before. Uh, he And the third or fourth Oscar ceremony, he won. He was 32 in about nine months. And uh, Chazelle just turned 32, so he's going to be 32 in you know, a month, basically. So he's going to beat him by that much. And then Lewis Milestone uh, didn't win for uh, All Quiet on the Western Front, which is what well, most people know his name from if they know it, but for uh, Two Arabian Nights, and he was 33 and seven months. And the more the fourth one, or it will become the fourth one if Chazelle wins, is uh, Sam Mendes. I guess everyone knows him from American Beauty. He was 34 and eight months. So those are those are the youngest to ever win Best Director. And uh, if Chazelle wins, he will be he will be the youngest. The uh, the other only other really noteworthy nomination I, here I think is Mel Gibson for Hacksaw Ridge. Um, a lot of people obviously wondering is Mel Gibson sort of sort of done in Hollywood or at least you know never going to reach the same heights as he once did or maybe is he going to become a director more than an actor uh, because some of his sort of behind the camera troubles. Uh, but obviously a big comeback for him and I, I thought a really tremendous movie. I didn't think I could be interested in another World War II movie. It's just a topic that's just been done and that's fine because there's a lot there to work with. But he found a new wrinkle, a new angle, sort of for it. And I thought he put out a tremendous film. Uh, I thought it was great, and I'll say it was better than I expected. That's the main so, thing. Uh, I, I I thought it would be fine, um, but I was surprised at how entertaining and occasionally funny it was. The combat stuff works better for me than the first. I mean, the first half, him falling in love is is all right. I think is you know the father stuff is a little overwrought and been done before. the The weakest part for me is the training stuff and the uh, kind of almost court martial stuff, which I thought has been done better in three dozen other war movies, uh, all that stuff. I had just watched, because it was, you know, Veterans Day was not too long ago, I watched uh, uh, Biloxi Blues, which is all basically basic training. And, you know, to see, <laughs> to go through some of those same notes that have been done in a lot of other movies, I thought that's where it was like, all right, we know what happens. Let's just get to the, let's get moving. And that for me, personally, that's, I mean, that kind of, that middle third of it was really, eh, all right. <laughs> I know right. it's going to happen. All right. So let's, let's get to the, but the battle stuff was all very compelling. And, you know, uh, his story is, is amazing. He's one of the, it's one of the amazing war stories of, you know, ever. Yeah. Um, well, I, I'm glad you mentioned the battle stuff because, I mean, Mel Gibson, he's got a little bit of a, a history of sort of putting fairly extreme violence in some of his films. I don't think tasteless oh, yeah. violence or anything, but but very, no. very violent. Um, and it actually really worked to his advantage here because the first part of the film, it feels like a cushy, feel-good Oscar movie, you know, all sunshine and, and daisies. Very, and, and that's, that's where it really feels old-fashioned. I mean, it's really – they're right. really hitting – intentionally hitting – you know, those kind of Sergeant York kind of notes. I mean, they're really going for that kind of feel. And then when you get to the, the horror of battle, it is horrific and bloody as any movie you'll see. Right. It was particularly so because of Gibson. And that's where I think Gibson really earns this is because by using Gibson as opposed to some other director, he really brings that very disturbing violence. And just the contrast with the first half of the film, it, you know, you're along. You're along for the ride with him because you are shocked just as he is uh, at the violence of what he's seeing, which is hard to do for someone knowingly walking into a World War II film. Uh, moving over to the supporting actor and actress categories, let's go with actress first. We already talked about Viola Davis. Uh, seems like a shoo-in. I mean, as good as Denzel was, she was right there with him. Um, and as you say, she she might even have, you know, the biggest, most dramatic scene in the film, which is saying something for that film. 
I mean, she's, you know, she's 51 she's now. She's always good. Yep, she's always good, and she's really become a star in the last, you know, handful of years between uh, The Help and uh, the, the Chandra Rhyme show. How to Get Away with Murder really made her a star, at, you know, relatively late in, in an actress's life. You know, actresses ha- tend to have a shorter shelf life, and if they're not kind of in the in the zeitgeist in their 20s and 30s, the chances of them popping up when they're in their 40s and 50s is unlikely. But she's definitely one of those cases of, you know, one of those 45-year overnight success stories where she was <laughs> plugging along, doing great work on stage and, you know, little bits here and there. And all of a sudden, she started getting chances in bigger and bigger spotlights. And, uh, boy, she's she's great. She's great. I mean, she was, she was wonderful in the uh, her other she was nominated for the help uh you know one of her first starring roles but she her nomination before that was in uh doubt but, um and it's one of those performances where i think she's only got two very small you know screen time wise she's barely in that movie but especially the one's uh speech which is one of the most you know amazing turning points in the it's probably the best written scene in that play is when she you know she Basically, uh, I'll go ahead and spoil doubt for people who haven't seen that movie or play yet. When she basically says, if this man is nice to him, I don't care if he's abusing him. <laughs> you know, basically, it's the, this is the best thing that's ever happened to this, this to my son. If he accepts him, even if he's abusing him, hey, it's a really amazing scene that you don't think is really unexpected the way it goes. And she's just amazing in that scene. And it does the whole snotty crying thing, which uh, that she does in this thing. Hard to fake, it's I really would imagine. Powerful. Yeah, yeah, I would think so. It's really powerful, and you know, you know, good for her. And it is definitely one of those performances that you can, even though uh, for the Tonys it was considered a supporting performance in the original play, and it's you know, it is a supporting performance. I don't begrudge them that, but you could also see them submitting her as as best actress. She's certainly. She's got the main female part in that play and in that in that movie and has nearly as much screen time as Denzel. So, I mean, but it's to me, it feels a little bit of a cheat to call it a uh, supporting performance and not have her go against the big guns and the best actress. But, you know, it's it's what they did for the Tonys as well. It's shrewd. It, it, it's, it's, it feels more shrewd than unfair, so I don't think anyone yeah, has a problem yeah. with it. Um, I will say, you know, you said uh, sort of a 45-year overnight success story and how unusual that is for a middle-aged actress, a middle-aged African-American act- actress, too. Um, yes, even, and, that, even more so. But she has company in Octavia Spencer, who's nominated for Hidden Figures, who was also in The Help. They sort of had these these little dual-track careers. They keep finding themselves right. next to each other. And Octavia Spencer— and she, won, and she won for The Help. She right. won for The Help. And I joked earlier about the annual Meryl Streep nomination— I don't know if we might be there with Octavia Spencer coming up pretty soon because she is always around. Right. And I don't know if you've seen, you know, art movies recently when you've, you know, you've gone to the theater to see, uh, catching up on some of these, but the trailers you're seeing, she's in like half of them. (laughs) The movies that are coming up in the next four or five months, uh, she's in, I think, three of them. So yeah, she's getting a lot of working in. Good. I mean, she's she's another one. She's just always, always good. And she's great in this. And she's, you know, she plays the one, if you haven't seen Hidden Figures, it's about, um, these kind of overlooked uh, geniuses that were in the NASA system who were African-American women who you know, think about all the obstacles they had to go through to get where they got to. Yeah. And she wasn't a genius the same way, but she was a genius in that she saw where the industry was going as far as computers and having to understand that. And she dove into that when people were being very short-sighted about what these, at the time, gigantic IBM computers that filled entire rooms and wings of buildings um she got ahead of that and became one of the the the, uh, geniuses of that really 
and how to how to use and adapt the, that that system. So it's a good performance. She's great, and uh, to me, the one that's really the uh, too bad because she's not going to win, but she's always good and gets nominations and doesn't win is Michelle Williams, who yeah. is. Uh, she's so good. I mean, I really liked two Manchester, scenes, right? Like, uh, like two scenes. She's really just got a couple, you know, re- she's got a few smaller scenes, but really yeah. it's that one. Yeah. Scene. The nomination is for the one, one scene. scene. Yes. In the street where they finally say these unthings, unsaid things that have been uh, haunting them. And she's so good. And she's always good. Uh, this is her fourth nomination. She'll win eventually, but she's kind of having tough luck in the year she gets nominated. Uh, for best supporting actor, I'm I'm not going to say this right. Uh, Maharshala. Maharshala. Yeah, Maharshala. That is, you know what? It's funny. I overthought it. it it's perfectly phonetic, which is almost never the case. Uh, for uh, Ali, uh, for Moonlight. Um, and uh, you know, you can make a good case. I think for Jeff Bridges and Heller Highwater doing his best. Uh, I don't know, sort of Tommy Lee Jones type of small town cop role. Uh, he's tremendous in it. I wouldn't have a problem with either one of them, but it looks like it's going to be Ali for Moonlight. Yep. Um, Ali is. He's got a couple things going for him. Uh, the writing. He's got such a, a unique and, and strong character to play. And it, it's kind of a, you know, a contradiction also. I mean, he's a drug dealer, yes. right. but he's a very sense, he's a very sensitive and understanding drug yes. dealer. Yes. I mean, and he, he adds all the humanity. You know, it, it's written into the, into the part, but he goes, uh, Way, way beyond the writing, but in first place, it's a very unusually written part. Which yes. I mean, almost I would think almost anybody could, could get an Oscar if they were good in that part. Right, but he right. is super good. This is we haven't talked about this either, but we're talking about Moonlight. For those who who haven't seen it, it it shows this boy's journey from, I guess he's supposed to be I don't know fourth or fifth fifth, fifth grade the the first time we meet him in the first chapter. He's, 10, he's high know? school age. Oh, that's what he is. He's ten. And then he's what 14 or 15 the second time and then the third time we see him he's he's grown he's i don't know what he's supposed to be 25 or something yeah and uh what we didn't talk about is a few years ago you know we were talking about the gimmick of boyhood mm, and how would, yeah. would movies like this ever be the same again after you've watched someone literally age the part rather than changing actors and it helps that we weren't building to him being you know Denzel Washington in the third chapter, so it's not like we're comparing to, you know, the the three actors they used were unknown, but it really was seamless and effective, in a way, uh, in the way that these movies sometimes aren't. They have that ca- we're having to cast three different ages, uh, and three different actors, who in some ways, you know, if you look at them individually, don't really look alike, but as far as where the characters are at that moment of their lives and their progression, really makes sense. And I don't know that you even could have done this the way they did Boyhood, even if you had, you know, 15 years to film it, because he got to assume that he's going to be able to become what he needs to be in that third chapter, which is that this little scrawny kid, 10 year old becomes basically mirrors what the Marishal Ali character was becomes, becomes, becomes a version of him. Um, even if you hired a, a scrawny 10 year, a 10 year old, Saying when you're 25, you're going to make this part. Who knows if you can make that transformation? So it's a really interesting that after, post, when we were talking about Boyhood, we're like, wow, are these movies even going to work again when you're looking at three different actors instead of just one guy naturally aging? And it really works. The, the trick is it's a good movie. It's a well-written script. And I think the difference between Moonlight and Boyhood is Boyhood was, by design, a little, you know, it kind of meandered. It didn't really have a story 
a plot-driven story. And this one is definitely impressionistic too, but has more of a plot in each chapter. So you really get involved in what's going on rather than just the process of watching him grow, which is more of what Boyhood. So Boyhood's, I think, the verdict on Boyhood, which didn't wind up winning Best Picture when Birdman did, is that it kind of was a gimmick. Right. <laughs> Ultimately, It can be a good one, it's but it's still a gimmick. gimmick. Yeah. Very effective gimmick, but it was a gimmick. And if that had been a gimmick in this kind of movie, it would have won Best Picture. If it had been as well-written and as emotionally compelling as this one is, as Moonlight is, and it had a performance in it like Marichal Ali, it would have won Best Picture, I think, in a walk. But ultimately, it was about the gimmick more than it was about how well-constructed it was. Well said. Uh, moving on to uh, Best Original Screenplay. I always look forward to talking about this because there's always at least one really weird screenplay nominee in Best Original Screenplay. This is the category where they like to get weird. We talk about it every year. This is the Being John Malkovich category. And I remember months and months ago when I saw The Lobster, I thought to myself, this really feels like that movie. I will not be at all surprised if this is uh, the weird nominee for Best Original Screenplay. And lo and behold, it is. I was so pleased. Yep. I mean, it's it's really weird and really dark and really twisted and uh, yeah I'm glad it, I'm glad it got an Oscar nomination even you know in my my taste you know I could have gotten a bunch of my nominations but uh, La La Land is nominated here I don't think it'll win I think it'll be one of those years where mm, interesting kind of the presumptive it could win but if I had to bet I bet it's going to be what they tend to do. Sometimes the screenplay awards just kind of follow the best picture, like whatever the best picture is, like, oh, it's the best screenplay of the year. But also, I think, which you can, if you go back and look over the years, it tends to become a consolation prize, especially if it's a writer-director whose movie is not going to win, but and he's not going to get best director, and he's not going to get best picture, but he had a great movie, and he had a great year, and we want to reward it, we'll give it screenplay. And that's what's going to happen with Kenneth Lonergan, I think, in Manchester by the Sea. I think that's going to get Best screen, best original screenplay over La La Land, even though La La Land will very likely win Best Picture and Best Director, because this will be like, well, okay, we didn't give him the big, big prizes, but we love the movie, and here you go, Ken, keep making these movies. That's a very interesting prediction, um, and I, at least at the moment, my pick has been Chazelle. Uh, this could be a, a big split, uh, at least on the uh, picks leaderboard. Uh, I could see that one potentially swinging a lot of this. If the movie, what La La Land is. It's all of its strengths and why people love it. It's not really the script. It's, it's, it's the, how they, uh, it's the execution of the script. It's the filmmaking, which is why he's going to get director and all that stuff. And it's going to win him a bunch of technical awards because technically is, that's what makes it sing. And I think the, I didn't mean to say sing as a pun, but it just came out that way. <laughs> uh, I think the the script is probably if you read the script and you know nobody ever reads these scripts. I mean the screenwriters might when they when they're uh, nominating, but I mean certainly the large votership at large and moviegoers, even hardcore moviegoers, very rarely read a script, even the shooting script, much less an earlier version. So, but I, I doubt La La Land seems super amazing as a screenplay, but if Damien Chazelle was in your office telling you about it. It probably sounds pretty damn good. Yep. Makes sense. Uh, for best adapted screenplay, it looks like Barry Jenkins and Moonlight. Um, again, sort of a consolation prize. It's one of the, t- uh, one of the films that is also nominated for best director. This one seems like a no brainer to me. Uh, all actually all five films in this category are up for best picture, but, um, right. 
but not always best director. I guess that's yeah. that's what I'm making. Yeah, you know, I know we talk about how the ones that also have a nomination for best director are sort of the quote unquote real ones, usually the ones that would have been nominated if they hadn't expanded the field. Uh, and out of that one, I think it's yeah, it's just Moonlight, um, which seems Arrival. like a, if that makes sense. Uh, oh, you're right. You're right. My, my mistake. Rival. That's right. So to two of them there. Um, but we think it'll be. However, different. however, the screenplay was written by somebody other than the director. At least right. It's not a writer director. Uh, Barry Jenkins I... is a writer director, and and Kenneth Lonergan is a writer director, and uh, we haven't had to say his name yet. I've been practicing. Denis Villeneuve. I think it's like Denouve, but and I don't think you say that at first E. I don't think it's Villeneuve. I think it's Villeneuve. Denis Villeneuve is not a writer-director. He's he's a great filmmaker. He's one of my favorite filmmakers. Work. I can't wait to see yeah. anything he's making it coming out. But he's not a he's not a screenwriter, and so he he doesn't have that hybrid you know hyphenate going for him. Whereas Barry Jenkins does. I think uh, yeah. So I think that puts him over the top here. And Fences, they do have a kind of a history of liking to reward novelists and uh playwrights especially if they've won pulitzers and stuff who and they're dead and deign to work but yeah it's different that the screenplay was written by august wilson many years ago and he's been dead for a while and you know you know kudos for denzel for picking it up and you know basically not changing it and doing it the way august intended it to be done but it's not the same thing as having a Pulitzer Prize winner come up to the podium and oh we've anointed him now he's he's one of us now I think they they tend to fall in that kind of trap with novelists and and playwrights from time to time but it's not going to happen here because he's just been it's such an old project yeah. in that sense and yeah. he's and he's gone so it's it's posthumous I don't think they're going to posthumously reward him over Barry Jenkins who just wrote such an amazing wonderful I've... movie that nobody expected. So we're going to skip over some of the other categories. Uh, there isn't a whole lot to say on some of them this year, but we do want to talk about Best Animated Film a little and Best Foreign Language Film. Best Animated Film, obviously the shocker for everyone was, oh my god, Pixar wasn't nominated, no Finding Dory. And that seems to have opened the door for Zootopia, which was, uh, I think, a much better film than a lot of people were expecting. Uh, somehow a, a children's film man- managing to tackle, I think, five or six different major political and cultural issues in the same film and yeah. sort of does an artful job of weaving them together so that both characters are on both sides of the issue at different points in the movie, uh, and it kind of, I think, really resonated with people this year. And, by the way, it's really funny. It is really funny, <laughs> yes, yeah. It's got that going for it, too. Yeah. Yeah, it's, yeah. I think it was a bit of a surprise. I, yeah, I, it's one of those I saw with my uh, niece and nephew, cause, just because they're, they're the age where they see those kinds of things. And otherwise, I might not have seen that one in the theater. Same thing with Jungle Book, which was really good, the live-action Jungle Book which didn't wind up getting many nominations, but was, was really well done. Same kind of thing where it had very low expectations going in and was really very impressed with, with what they did. So I've got no problem with Zootopia winning this and any other war except for I think it was, it's a really good, fun movie. That ended up being, uh, ended up having particularly good timing, I think, with some of the, with yeah. the election yeah. season. I think it's just going to, I think that's going to push it over the edge. Yeah, but I mean, yeah. like, I think my dad's very, my dad's very right-wing. And didn't even realize those were really there, I think. Because <laughs> it was so well done. Anyway. It wasn't until like, Bill O'Reilly told him that was going on, then he got upset <laughs> about it afterwards, you know, after the fact. Like, oh, I don't like this movie all of a sudden. Which just shows you uh, how subtle it was, yeah. Right, which is how, how well, well it's made that, yes, those, are, those themes are certainly there and to be seen and enjoyed and thought about. Um, but it also just works as a really fun, inventive movie. 
So there are just a couple things in the technical awards that I want to bring up. First, I want to, I want you guys to school me a little bit here because I, I don't know as much about the technical aspects of filmmaking. I don't always know, uh, as much about the subtleties of cinematography, for example. I'm sitting here looking at La La Land as the supposed favorite for cinematography, and I saw Silence semi-recently, and I don't get it because Silence to me seemed like a masterpiece in terms of cinematography. I thought it was gorgeous. Every shot was incredible and, and the different locales and just, it felt like the Wizard of Oz almost in the way the, the, the locations kept changing. And La La Land was a great movie, but I didn't think about the cinematography once except for thinking, wow, I think they shot this entire movie during the magic hour, but that was about it. Uh, what am I missing? I don't know. So do you, do you, uh, pay attention to long shots, for example, long takes? Uh, a little bit. You think that's, you think that was mainly the difference because of the musical numbers and the, not not specifically, but yes, if you, if you just if you just look at the movie, just, just like if you looked at it with the sound turned off, you know, you would probably say the same thing about silence, I guess. But actually, I never thought of the Wizard of Oz once when I watched Silence, but I was thinking of the Wizard of Oz all the time <laughs> when I watched Law. It was a deliberately goofy comparison because I was mostly just thinking of, you know, the different <laughs> you, you know what I mean though, the fact that they go to some different part of the world that's suddenly so different seeming. I I love to catch you in your goofy. It's fair enough, fair enough, yeah. <laughs> but that, that's that's a, that's actually a very good answer, I guess. Then that's something I might not have thought about a lot is that there were more, uh, there were longer takes and maybe uh, more camera movement. Plenty of long takes and silence too. But yeah, silence is yep. is photographed as if it was photographed by like somebody like Lubetsky or something. Not the not so much the show off part, but the beautiful part. And silence yeah. did win. Did no, it didn't win. No. Greg, Greg Frazier won last night. Lion the won, American Lion. Society of Cinematographers had their annual award. Uh, he won for Lion, which Ooh. is their, their nominees were the exact same as the Academy nominees this year. The same five. So that's and, interesting. Uh, Greg, Greg Fraser won for, for Lion. But we'll see. I mean, that, that one is not a super, that one's actually not very helpful as far as predicting. That one's different a lot. And, Predicting what the Academy is going to vote for, because this is one of those where sometimes they get swept up with, well, that was Best Picture, so it's Best Cinematography. Right, there's like a trickle-down effect. Sometimes they're just, they pick something completely weird. Um, yeah, so I, this, I think it's going to be, if I had to guess, it's going to be either La La Land or Moonlight. It's going to be, it's going to be one of those two. But I think, you know, Arrival is really the only one I don't think, even though it's beautifully shot, is the only one that doesn't really have a shot would would surprise me if it was called any of the four others if they're called i'm going yeah that's kind of i can see that i think arrival is the only one that's really doesn't have much of a chance well speaking of arrival that was the only other film i wanted to talk about in the technical awards uh uh the favorite in both sound mixing and sound editing and i have no argument there that movie is half sound that the sound in that movie is so important and creates such a sense of atmosphere and maybe that's not what uh, a professional sound mixer or sound editor looks for as much as maybe uh, a layman like myself, but it was just so overtly part of the film um, that uh, it seems like a, a fine choice. Then we have a handful of questions from the thread. Do we want to barrel through some of those? Sure. So um, the rodent asks about Stephen Chow's The Mermaid. Uh, I said it broke box office records overseas, but wasn't even nominated in foreign language. I know that those two don't, two things don't necessarily go hand in hand, but uh, he was just wondering uh, if either of you had seen it and uh, if either of you have any opinions either way. I don't think it was in the put up for uh, its country's foreign language film number right. choice. But, right. I, went, uh, I went into this in some detail on the board, but the, there's a weird process where basically every country 
and it can be a film board or the Ministry of Culture, whatever it is, depending on you know what the country is, they they nominate one film per year to submit to the Academy as their foreign language entry, and it has nothing to do with. I mean, it can be they can if a, if a film does well at Cannes, obviously it's easy for the, the Swiss. If the Swiss film does well at Cannes, it's easy for them to say, well, that should be the one we put up. But that doesn't or it broke, it broke box office records all through Europe. But that doesn't necessarily mean that that's how they're thinking. Uh, it's, and it varies. You know, it's, there's hundreds of countries, and each one has their own process for doing this. Who knows why they didn't do the Stephen Chapman? There's Chapman's so many variables involved, movie. yeah. There could, it could be any zillion reasons why they didn't. It just it didn't, and it didn't make, uh, you know, the um, it, that country didn't even have anything on the shortlist this year, so... Who knows? Mm-hmm. Uh, here's one I really like from Slappy Davis, uh, fellow podcast host sometimes. Um, he says, are there any awards that currently don't exist that should exist? Any any categories you think that we could stand to add? I know we added, I guess the most recently added was Best Animated Film, right? And that was a handful of years ago. Early 2000s. Early 2000s was the Best Animated Feature. And a good addition, I think. I think clearly uh, it was time. Uh, are there any Are there any things you'd like to see recognized um, that aren't right now? For me, just because I'm a cinematography nut, you know, back in the days when there were lots of black and white productions and color productions going simultaneously, there used to be two awards given uh, for cinematography, one for black and white and one for color. And I wouldn't mind, even though so many films use digital effects of some kind, I wouldn't mind seeing best cinematography and best cinematography, you know, digital effects. Which I guess it kind of gets folded into uh, visual effects category, but I'd like to just I'd like to kind of separate those two. <laughs> like the when um, Avatar won, yeah, a couple of years when it, it won best. What the hell? Why? I mean, that's, I just didn't get that. So I would like either exclude those or give them their own category because it's a different it's a different skill set. Not not because it doesn't right. not because it's not impressive or or skill based, but because it's a different skill. Right, but I mean, there's not. I mean, how many shots in Avatar are not some manner of green screen. Four, <laughs> maybe, <laughs> maybe not even four. And that compared to something like Moonlight, I just don't think those two should be committed. And that's and that's really. I mean, the cinematographers have to please. They're the ones who nominate the, the cinematography, so they're kind of policing that themselves. But I think if you gave them an option, like okay, well, you can actually honor something like Avatar or one of the Marvel movies that did a really impressive job. And also honor things like Moonlight and Silence, which don't do a lot of that or any of that. I think it would be – it doesn't do anything for the TV ratings because nobody cares about cinematography anyway. But for me personally, just as a movie nut, I'd like to see some distinction made. Okay. That's a great answer. Uh, Mark, is there anything coming to mind? It can also be – you know, take this question however you want. If you want to say, hey, we don't need sound mixing and editing or you want to fold some things together or even abolish a category, would you make any changes if you could? Oh, best song. How would you change best song? I wouldn't have it. You wouldn't have it? I, I agree. I agree. I don't mind it, except that there's very, you know, in an era where there were lots of original songs, you know, tend, these tend to be, they get some pop star to come in and they throw it in over the ending credits and that becomes the, the song. And they just reward the, the biggest pop star of the day. 
I mean, it's unusual to have a year like this where you've got La La Land, which actually has original It's songs. actually built around but, the song, basically. Yeah. And the problem for me yeah, is they, that there was also a movie called Sing Street, which also had some original songs, which were wonderful. And that doesn't, and it seems like that wasn't even on the radar because they want to get the Justin Timberlake song from Trolls. <laughs> Academy Award nominee Trolls, yeah. But that could just be better policing of that category would make that category better. I don't, I don't know all the ins and outs of what how that nomination process goes for but it seems to me they could police themselves better and find the original songs in movies that are worthy and that could be a category like uh, animation supposed to be that if there are only three great you know three worthy songs let there be three instead of five let there be you know if there's a year where there's only two okay we have to have a minimum of three there there's that category goes away this year but i I don't mind it as a category but it's just it seems it's it's misused and abused and it's just let's see what pop star we can get to come to the oscars this year and most people i'm I'm still think don't even know what they're voting for i know what i'm voting for i just get (laughs) mad when the i just get mad when the academy award voters get it wrong I got it right. What's the problem? <laughs> what, well, what did you pick? I like no. I gotta. I gotta keep some secrets so I can win. Uh, okay, fair, fair enough. Okay, you could be. That's fair <laughs> enough. Uh, okay, so last question. We'll do one more. Uh, Raul asks, uh, which best picture winner of this decade you like the best, including whichever you think will win this year. So let's say, let's assume it's La La Land for this year. I'll read them all for you. Spotlight from 2015. Birdman from 2014, 12 Years a Slave from 2013, Argo, uh, The Artist, and The King's Speech. What, what's your favorite of that bunch? La La Land. La La yes. Land. Wow. So not just the best movie this year, but the best movie in the last eight years. Uh, yeah, for me, I, I, think, films, I think La La yeah. Land over... I think I pick La La Land over all those. Yeah. I mean, I should I should fess up that I'm right, as we're recording this, I'm sitting underneath a framed poster of La La Land. It's <laughs> hanging over my head. I uh, mean, so I, I am a I, bit of a fanboy, realize... but I really do love it. Yeah, I realize I'm going to go downhill uh, as far as getting respect from certain people, but hey, that's it's the most entertaining film. It was the best film. Yeah, for for my taste, I go probably La La Land, Birdman, and The Artist. I know you said you know The Artist is falling a lot of people. I I still love that movie. I, I those are my top three. Those would be my top three of the of those eight, assuming La La Land wins. That's exactly what I was going to say. Yeah, I think Birdman's the the clear number two uh, for most people, at least. Uh, that's the one they're, they're probably still going to be talking about. And I agree, even though I, I, the artist, I do think people don't really talk about it much, but I don't think it's any uh, worse because of it. I, I still find yes. it to be a very charming film. Uh, and again, one that La La Land reminded me of. King's Speech would be way at the bottom for me. Yeah, I'll, I'll agree with that, too. Hey, if they had picked the right one, Social Network, Ooh. that would probably be way up at the top for me. Honestly, I'd be very tempted to pick it. And I rewatched it a little while ago, and it's incredibly rewatchable which seems impossible but yeah i, I agree with that uh not but the third question one one other point i'd like to get in there just because we talked about it so much last year and the media talked about it so much last year and it was out there for so much is the uh, uh oscar so white mm-hmm. uh there was a big course correction i don't think because of the hashtag just because of some of the things we were saying that oh. these things go in cycles there were just more movies this year with non-white people in them that were good that were in the mix i mean that was the problem i think the last those couple of years where it kind of became an, you know an issue a media issue was that there were one or two movies that had predominantly black casts or non-white casts that were good that you know kind of went, that had a legitimate shot and when there's only one or two that they get snubbed is not that unusual and when you've got fences hidden figures moonlight loving 
even Birth of a Nation, which you know wind up did want wind up getting snubbed. Yeah. Um, you know, you've got more when there's more in the marketplace, you've got much more of a chance of mm-hmm. things rising to the top. Which and Lion, which too, which is you know not African American or African obviously, but uh, Indian. So you just when you get more in the marketplace, and this part of what we said was it's cyclical and. The other part was it was going to take time. You do they did get more yeah. voters in. You know, knows how how quickly that affected things, and um, you know there were just more good movies with non-white people in in the leading roles this year, and that was and obviously if you know anything about film production, you know these were not put into production January last year when the when the hashtag started. Right. You know, these projects no. have been gestating and you know coming to for for years. Last year, last couple of years were just an off in that cycle and this year had a lot of great choices and next year we'll see and yeah. it de- definitely need more people more you know people of color and women who are producers who have power to green light and but the truth is that movies like fences hidden figures and moonlight being so known and getting so many nominations will help the next barry jenkins get his movie distributed and made and and that will correct the problem right there i mean that that will help correct the problem in itself i agree completely um and yeah if we'd seen a similar uh, lack of nominations in this year i think then but we would have some pretty clear evidence moonlight loving birth of a nation and none of them got nominated then you're right there's a problem that needs to be addressed yeah but when you know four or five of the best movies of the year just rise to the top and those they that was that's how it worked out this year. That was the cycle we were in. And there, it's not like if you go back to those years where kind of the the media stuff started, it's not like there were – it wasn't a year like this where there were six, five or six worthy, really good movies. There were one or two. Yeah. And one or two movie of any quality, as with silence, as with anything, can miss the cut for any variety of reasons that have nothing to do with a hashtag that needs to be addressed. Guys, uh, this is the sixth straight year we've done this. Uh, you are both tremendous as always. Thank you so much for your time. Thank you. Yep. Thank you. Wild them in the end, you got hit. You can have flaws, problems, but wild them in the end, and you've got a hit.